Hello and welcome to the Alternative Book Club podcast, the online spin-off from the Literary Comedy Nights. I am your host, Shirley Hulse, and today we are joined by comedian and improviser Dan Squire. Hello, Dan. Hi, how's it going? All right. Uh, So Dan was going to be joining us at the Comedy Night in June, but unfortunately, the room that we usually fit about 60 people into uh, in the lovely Bottle of Sauce, uh, I reckon you can probably only fit two people in there now with social distancing. So you will have to come back next year. How are you? Good. Yeah, fine. I'm uh, surviving well. It's been a quiet couple of weeks for me, but it hasn't been been for everyone, I guess, this year. So that's no change. Yes, there's nothing to make your week quieter than the government shutting every single thing in the whole of your town. Yeah. It's quite amazing. How has lockdown been generally? Uh, it's not, well, I, I, I've been very fortunate actually that my work hasn't uh, been affected too badly uh, and I've been able to work from home so I wasn't put on furlough or anything, which was, which was nice. So I've been busy mm. all year. Um, it's just been boring, hasn't it? Which is like, a, yes. which is a like small problem to have in the grand scheme of things. Yes, I mean that's really, really a fair assessment. It is boring, but that every well for for me too. It's been kind of okay, but oh god, I'm so looking forward to like going out to the theatre and you know coughing at my friends. You shouldn't do that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I, guess, I guess at least um, at least for you, uh, you probably haven't missed out on too much during like things that you couldn't do while you were pregnant for example yeah I mean it was a diplomatic choice to be pregnant now because I thought there's nothing else to do I usually have a very very busy schedule uh, and I thought I won't be able to cope with being sick at the same time Um, so that's kind of good but now it's at the point where I'm like I feel bad is that pregnancy hormones (laughs) or lockdown isolation or is it just winter and it's really messing with my sense of like identity um so that's that's fun let's kick off so what are you going to be talking about today so uh i am going to talk a little bit about uh the kind of people who i think are the the worst readers in the world the group that i like the least uh so i'm i'm really happy to be on this podcast because i love books i read lots of different books uh, and types of books and i love talking to people about the different types of books that they read too. Um, there's a quote by the author Haruki Murakami, which really speaks to me. And he says, if you only read the books that everyone else is reading, you can only think what everyone else is thinking. And if you haven't read my books, stop using my quotes as captions on your Instagram. <laughs> it's just what he said. That's just what he said. Um, so the thing that really winds me up is people who claim that they're book lovers because they love Harry Potter uh, and I, I don't want to offend anyone with this section because I know a lot of people really care about this book series, but it, it needs to be said, people obsessed with Harry Potter are absolute morons. And here's why. Number one, you can't say your favorite book is Harry Potter if you've only ever read Harry Potter. You're not a book lover. You tried books once. If you love books so much, you'd pick up another one and maybe one that's not aimed at children. Some people have only ever read the Bible, but they tend to be pretty humble about it. Harry Potter fans will like proudly announce it's the only thing they've ever read. It's like taking one puff of weed at a party one time, not inhaling, coughing it all up, and then going around telling everyone you're a druggie and your favourite drug is sweet, sweet ganja. Look, if you, if you read one book series as a kid and you got obsessed with it, have you ever considered that maybe you just love reading and you never realised you loved reading because you figured you'd nailed it on the first try? Like, how self-involved is it to assume that you just happen to pick up the best book in the world on your first go 
and you thought you'd just quit while you're ahead. It's like those freaky eaters who get obsessed with like chicken nuggets when they're a kid and now they won't eat anything else. Harry Potter is the chicken nuggets of literature. Like, sure, maybe chicken nuggets are a treat when you're a kid. Maybe you dip into them once in a while as an adult because you want something easy and comforting. But you should definitely have branched out into other food by now. Then what's even worse than that group is people who've read other books, but they still maintain that Harry Potter is good. But it's just not. It's just not good. J.K. Rowling is a bad writer whose story just happens to also tick all the lowest common denominator boxes for a children's book. Does it have monsters? Yes. Do the adults fail to listen to the kids, even though it turns out the kids were right the whole time? Yes. Do the teenagers get sorted into groups based on their personality traits so they can build a sense of community? Yes. We know that stuff works because it works on adults too. People believe in horoscopes and they take BuzzFeed quizzes to tell them what kind of pastry they are. The sorting hat is just like a Myers-Briggs test for kids. People eat that shit up. Maybe you're listening to this, you're thinking, oh, he's such a sliverin. No, I'm an ENTJ. And by the way, you are not a Gryffindor either. You're a fucking muggle. And the way you're fangirling over Cedric Diggory is exactly the pathetic muggle behavior, which is why you would have never gone to Hogwarts, even if it did exist. But I know I'm angry. I'm angry about this. It makes me angry. Some people have a sentimental attachment to Harry Potter from their childhood. And that's fine. That's okay, obviously. But it, should, it still shouldn't be your favorite book. Maybe your parents read it to you when you were growing up, which is like a lovely memory. But I have some bad news for you. You don't like Harry Potter. You just like it when your dad pays attention to you. And if you've got enough of a daddy complex to still be chasing his approval decades later by reading the same books over and over again to remind you of a time when he still loved you, you shouldn't admit it in public. Babies have bonding experiences with their mothers by breastfeeding, but you don't get a tattoo of your mum's tits across your chest. Then there's another category again, which is people who love Harry Potter, but they haven't even read the books. And I don't know actually if this is better or worse, because at least most people who've watched the Harry Potter movies have also watched other movies. So they have some frame of reference to make their decision. You know, saying the books are so much better than the films about Harry Potter doesn't make you look as smart as you think it does. But Potter movie fans are also way more committed to treating Harry Potter like this or geeky aesthetic choice they're the ones who are buying harry potter merchandise or wearing nerd glasses for a hermione halloween costume look you're not an intellectual for fancying hermione you're just a pervert and you're not a cute nerd for liking harry potter it's literally the most mainstream thing in the world it's a fantasy about going to public school learning latin and fighting nazis it's the most boomer energy young people who love harry potter you're becoming the thing you hate most Anyway, this concludes my TED talk um, on why Harry Potter fans are the worst types of readers. And if you felt personally attacked by this rant, I would be very happy to recommend some other books that you should read before you respond to it. <laughs> that was absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, I do have a story, a very brief story to show you how universal Harry Potter is. Today, I uh, was feeling a bit crap and I went on YouTube to watch some crap YouTube videos to cheer myself up. Uh, and I clicked on one of those ones where it's like, I didn't know I was pregnant and I gave birth and they were at a Harry Potter convention <laughs> giving birth. And then the paramedic comes and is like, oh, what are you going to call it? What about Hermione? The girl's like, like, no. <laughs> no. 
No, it's one of those it's one of those names that's ruined isn't it you can't call your children Hermione yeah well I hadn't heard the name before Harry Potter but then I went to Poland when I was in the sixth form and Mm. there was like a queen Hermione I think yeah Yeah, I think it's more common in Eastern Europe isn't it oh it might be Hedwig actually I might be thinking of Hedwig (laughs) that's also that's quite scandy yeah yeah brilliant I desperately want to know what other books you'd recommend instead of Harry Potter Oh, well, I mean, if what you liked about Harry Potter was like lots of those plot elements that, you know, make people like it, which is that as a teenager, it's going to tell you what kind of person you are. Mm. That happens in basically every young adult novel. So if that's what you liked about it, you can read other stuff, which is more interesting and better written. Like The Hunger Games is like a really good place to start, for example. Mm. I think if you're an adult, maybe, you know, read some read some adult <laughs> books uh, but you know like like clearly it's but you know some people you build up to it don't you but like um yeah the hunger games is good ender's game is a good one to start with um yeah. lots of other young adult does the same kind of thing there's also like plenty of really fun books which are written for adults which are just as exciting and have just as much great stuff in there like you can read jurassic park by michael crichton which is really fun you can read 1984 or something like that which is you know going to make you just as like angry about nazis as Voldemort does (laughs) I had no idea that Jurassic Park was a book it's a great book I think it's one of those ones which uh where the film does push it quite close for which one's better and I thought when I read Jurassic Park it would struggle to live up to the movie but Mm. it's actually it's actually really good. I really enjoyed it. It's got a page turn. I mean, I haven't seen Jurassic Park either. I just love that, um, like the bad recorder version of the theme tune. <laughs> it's just every time that something bad happens in our house, we'll just be like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I have read The Hunger Games and I did enjoy them. I also, I will die on this hill, believe that His Dark Materials by Philip Pullman is better than... Mm. Harry Potter possibly my favorite series ever and that's a big statement to make because you know there are a lot of books yeah that is yeah I, I, <laughs> I was thinking this the uh when I was writing that bit the other thing that you can tell that someone's only ever read like one book mm. and it's Harry and it's Harry Potter or whatever else it is is when you speak to someone and you say what's your favorite book or what's a really good book that you've read this year anyone who reads a lot will go oh hmm, I'm not sure there's so many different options mm. if you ask someone what's your favorite book and they straight away say last days of Hitler you've got to read it <laughs> you're like oh, I know that's the only book you've read this year <laughs> I know that it's like you've just picked up one book and decided like now you you're going to evangelize it to everyone mm, yeah fair enough I also am interested in when did you discover that you kind of loathed uh these kind of people did it come on like suddenly or has it been a kind of slow build no I think I think it's probably me becoming grumpier as I'm older <laughs> I wonder if I've always had the same feelings but now I feel like I'm justified in, in making the argument mm. there's an, another thing that annoys me about it I don't know if you've ever there's a website um called Sporkle I don't know if you've ever used it I, like a quiz, yeah, yeah. quiz game website yep. I used to love it when I was growing up. Um, I, used to, I think a lot of my general knowledge comes from just playing quizzes on there. But if you go onto the literature category, I reckon my 70 to 80% plus of the quizzes on there are just different ways of slicing the Harry Potter series. Yeah. That really widens me up. <laughs> I don't know why it makes me so angry. I think that, my like, only memory of Sporkle is actually playing that massive one where it's like name the top 200 characters. Yeah, yeah. And then there'll be another one, which is name the top 200 characters in alphabetical order. And then there'll be one, which is name the top 200 characters 
in the order that they appear in the books. And rather than just having any quizzes about any other book that's ever been written, it's just different ways of answering the exact mm. same question, which is how much you know about Harry Potter. It is a big thing, though. People do kind of take it on as, as their identity. Mm. And I wonder why that is. I guess, do, do you think it's because they haven't read anything else? Or do you think it's like something kind of deeper about them? Yeah, I, I kind of said it in the, the bit, but it's, when I say it's the lowest common denominator for mm. all children's books, that's kind of a bad thing, but it's also the reason why it's so appealing. That's why it's sold so many, right? Is that everyone, when they're a kid or a teenager, wants to be told that they're special. Everyone's waiting for the letter from Hogwarts to arrive. You know, everyone has a kind of black and white political view of good and bad in the world, which this kind of, you know, makes you feel like you can kind of be involved in it and that you can, you can have power as, a, as an, a child or as a teenager to like overcome the wrongs in the world. Everyone recognises school. So it's like a setting that makes sense to them, Yeah. Um, which is maybe a little bit harder with something like The Hunger Games, mm. um, where it's, you know, very alien scenario. It's a bit more abstract. No, yeah. I'm just thinking about... I haven't read that much young adult fiction since being a grown-up, but I have recently read um, Percy Jackson because I was using it as like a teaching resource. And I'm just like going through that in my head going, oh yeah, they have kind of basically a school and they have very like, oh, this is what's good and this is what's evil. Like it's quite easy with the Greek myths. Yeah, I think a lot of young adult stuff uses twists on well-known myths and legends already, which Harry Potter Mm. does absolutely all the way through. All the spells are like Latin or Greek basically so Mm. you feel like you're really clever for understanding it but it's like real basic knowledge that most children whose parents have read them fairy tales should already have yeah Mm. yeah actually this kind of parallel with private school is quite interesting because I remember going to Oxford for the first time and being like oh my gosh it's like Harry Potter and obviously it was all like lots of it was filmed there and stuff and then afterwards I I now live in Cheltenham and I've been not into but around Cheltenham Ladies College and it looks exactly the same and I think you're just like oh it's like it's like finishing school for private school students it is a weird world isn't it and it's I guess it's just like a boarding school yeah it literally is Harry Potter is just a boarding school I guess when you're younger like the idea of like being able to get away and escape and go to somewhere where you're taken seriously and that your skills are taken seriously and adults listen to you is quite appealing but I wonder I wonder if people who actually went to business uh not business school (laughs) actually no I'm interested in what people who went to business school think about Harry Potter the people who even who went to boarding school I wonder if they have had the same reaction to it when Mm. they might you know for people who for whom it's perhaps not quite as exotic or maybe they've even had bad experiences at boarding school I think that's really interesting. Have you ever read a book where it's set somewhere that you know and often you will give it more of a chance? I remember reading a book that was set in Oxford and it was like pretty average. But because it was set in Oxford and there were like locations like nightclubs that I knew about, not been to, that's a bit ambitious, but I was willing to give it much more of a benefit of the doubt. And I reckon they'd be like, oh, wow, yeah, we see ourselves in this. And remember when we fought that three-headed yeah. dog? <laughs> yeah, I think it's much easier to get that living in Oxford, but considering that it's like disproportionately probably one of the most literary cities in the world. I don't know how many books there are mm. that are based in Cheltenham, for example, or even like Bristol, where I grew up. <laughs> um, if you live in like London or Oxford or Paris or New York, that's like the, that's like the big four. Well, I mean, that would explain why you, why you're such a fan of his dark materials, perhaps as well. 
Oh yeah, yes, absolutely. I do remember rereading it relatively recently and going, "Oh my god, is this my co- is this the college I went to?" Um, and then finding out it was the one next door and being like, "Oh, fine, fine." <laughs> anyway, I want to ask you a bit more about um, what you've been reading this year. Have you had a good year for reading? There was a point in lockdown, I know, for me where I just couldn't face opening a book and then other times that I found it really, really um, helpful. Um, what have you been reading? Yeah, so I, I, tend to, um, I tend to set myself a reading target or reading challenge every year, or effectively as my New Year's resolution to try and read a certain number of books mm. in a year. And I often try and pick a target that broadens my reading because I, I read a lot of canon literature, which means I always end up reading old white men like dead white man yeah. um, oh, God, so it might yeah. be that I'll try and read you know 40 books by female authors or, or you know whatever it is through the course of the year or books by non-British or non-white authors or whatever mm. it is this year I moved in with my girlfriend and so we've combined bookshelves and there's an in, so I've got an enormous influx of books that we now own collectively which I haven't wow. read and so I'm desperate to like get to the bottom of it and have read all of the books in the house uh, rather than constantly buying new ones so I, my mm. original target, I was trying to read 60 books this year, but as soon as the lockdown came in, I realized I was going to probably meet that. So I revised it up to be a bit more ambitious. So I'm trying to read 100 books this year. How long are the books? I think they're decent length. Actually, I, I know this is uh, this is like so nerdy to say this, but um, I actually have I have a spreadsheet where I keep track of all the books that I've read. Oh my goodness! Um, wow. Not just for this year, but like for since I was about sixteen, I think actually. Wow, so it's really, really, really it's got loads so of stuff in there. But anyway, so I keep track of the books I've read this year. They're about three hundred pages, I think, on average for those books. So like you know, yeah. So they're like not. I'm not reading like lots of short stories and counting them all separately yeah <laughs> i read an essay by george yeah, orwell yeah, exactly. Tick. oh nice so so you've read nearly 100 yeah, no, books yeah 96 many... books i finished the 96 book the other day okay so of all 96 books that you've yeah. read this year which okay. is the highest was um, the best so i think my favorite book that i've read this year, there's probably about four that i think were exceptional but the mm. best one was under the net by Iris Murdoch. I don't know if you've ever read anything by her or not. I have read one book by her that I've completely forgotten the name of because my best friend from university is obsessed or was obsessed with her. Yeah, so I, I think a lot of her other stuff is well known for being more like philosophical. Um, you know, those books mm. where there's a plot thinly laid on to try and kind of explore a more, you know, mm. like the nature of being or whatever it is. Um, but this was yeah. her. This was her first book, so I get the impression that it's quite different in tone from the others. I haven't read anything else by her. This was the first one I read. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's an absolute romp. It's hilarious. Um, it's a. It follows a kind of chance uh, author or kind of freelance writer in in London in the fifties or sixties, and mm-hmm. his like hulking but silent Irish friend as they run around kind of getting into mishaps and adventures and it's kind of it's framed as like a noir so Mm. there's like a mystery going on but he can't work out what it is and he hears snippets of conversation and he has to he's kind of trying to put the clues together and the more he tries to solve it the deeper he gets into it there's kind of glitz and glamour of like the movie industry in London but then there's like seedy underbelly behind it so like it's very noir but also uh, Mm. like it's a it's a comedy I I love it I I think it's brilliant I think it's yeah and it's very short as well. It's only about 250 pages or so. That's really well solved. Yeah. I really feel like I want to read that. I also really love things that anyone describes as a romp. I remember reading Wise Children by Angela Carter, I think in January. No, no. Have you read it? 
I would describe that as a romp and I would thoroughly recommend it. So uh, this is the part where you're going to have to unfortunately listen to me talk about Thomas Hardy. Have you read Far From the Madding Crowd? Well, I'll save you the bother. So today I would like to talk about Thomas Hardy and specifically his famous novel, Far From the Madding Crowd. Uh, It's a good 370 pages of classic fiction with a story I can only summarise as 90% sheep, 10% death, sex and violence, which growing up on the outskirts of a small town in Wiltshire is pretty much my dream ratio of sheep to death, sex and violence. And you might be able to tell from the title that this is a rural novel about rural people. But just so you're sure, the story starts off with a character called Gabriel Oak. What do you think this rural character might do in a rural environment? If you guessed Farmer, you're absolutely correct. Sometimes he's simply called Farmer Oak, which is peak rural. He's a farmer named after a type of tree. And because Thomas Hardy is well into rural life, he invented something that I call the rural morality scale for all of his characters, which basically means that the more rural someone or something is, the better they are morally. So that's your clue that Farmer Oak is the good guy. And the next 370 pages are just him proving this by problem solving his way through various interaction with large flocks of sheep. Uh, And then at the end, there's some sex, death and violence. But just to be clear, the sheep are only impacted by one of those things. So the first sheep related faux pas is where he's lambing some lambs but he brings them into the warmth of the shepherd hut where there's a fire um but because he's a bit of a rural idiot he closes all the ventilation to the hut and falls asleep and nearly dies of yes you guessed it scientists carbon monoxide poisoning which to be fair is uh, less romantic than how hardy puts it but he is saved by it seems the only female character he has ever met bathsheba everdeen that is quite the name. Uh, Let's see where we are on the rural morality scale based on her name. So her name is Ba She Ba. So yeah, I reckon she's pretty good character. But as she is, of course, a woman, boy, does she have a couple of lessons she needs to learn. Men, of course, come fully formed into the rural world, but women need to learn how to love the right man through a series of increasingly harsh lessons across 370 pages. Uh, Thomas Hardy is a big fan of sheep, not a big fan of women, which you can read in his biography. (laughs) Uh, When she, just to repeat, she rescues Farmer Oak, who has literally been so much of an idiot that he's almost died. Her heroic moment is somewhat ruined by Hardy's omniscient narrator. So she goes, it was not exactly the fault of the hut, she observed, in a tone which showed her to be that novelty among women... One who finished a thought before beginning the sentence which was to convey it. You should, I think, have considered and not been so foolish as to leave the slides closed. Thomas Hardy, negging all women since the 19th century. Now, to find that uh, bit of the text again, instead of flicking through loads and loads of paper, I used the amazing Project Gutenberg, which has all of these texts online. So I simply searched women... And instantaneously it returned 69 instances of the word women. I can only assume the number is some kind of sick joke from Thomas Hardy. I found this to be a great way to find all of the sections you find outdated in a book. Because if he says woman, singular, it's kind of okay because it's often used to add information to a sentence. But when he uses the word women, it's an incredible opportunity for a 19th century author to generalise. So one of my favourite uses of women is in Farmer Oak's first description of Bathsheba. And prepare yourselves. This is quite the introduction. 
the adjustment of the farmer's hazy conceptions of her charms to the portrait of herself she now presented him with was less a diminution than a difference. <laughs> the starting point selected by the judgment was her height. <laughs> the natural starting point. Uh, she seemed tall, but the pail was a small one and the hedge diminutive. Hence, making allowance for error by comparison with these, she could have not... I can't even read this. She could have been not above the height to be chosen by women as best. What does that even mean? Does it mean I should take small pails with me on dates to just fix the perspective and make me seem the height chosen by women as best? It does go on. You're right. All features of consequence were severe and regular. It may have been observed by persons who go about the shires with eyes for beauty. Creepy. That... In English women, a fully formed face is seldom to be found united with a figure of the same pattern, the highly finished features being generally too large for the remainder of the frame, that a graceful and proportionate figure of eight hands, oh no, eight heads, usually goes off into random facial curves. What does it even mean? Without throwing a nymphian tissue over a milkmaid, let it be said that here criticism checked itself as out of place and looked at her proportions with a long consciousness of pleasure. He has like said absolutely nothing about what she looks like and managed to be so creepy about it. Anyway, we've been distracted by women and we need to get back to the story, aka the sheep. So Farmer Oak proposes to Bathsheba and she says no because Thomas Hardy had to write a novel about something. Otherwise, what would he teach her? So she leaves and the first actual deaths occur. And to be honest, I think these deaths were the most moving of the whole book. Uh, there are some human deaths later on, but honestly, the characters by this point are so unlikable that the massive death of sheep early on in the novel completely eclipses their tragedy. Here, Farmer Oak is asleep again, because if he was awake, this would not have happened to our sheep-saving hero. The young dog of Farmer Oak gets really excited and herds the sheep into a quarry that is not fenced very well and these sheep were all pregnant and they all die forget about all the romance and drama this is genuinely the real tragedy of the book i think i did cry so also the problem is here that farmer oak has bought these sheep using a loan he loses all his money travels around a bit until he saves a farm from a fire yay he's back on track it does happen to be the farm of bathsheba and she is now farmer everdeen obviously you will notice that this sends her up in the rural moral rankings. Though, as a female farmer, you will understand that she still has a lot to learn. Boobs and vaginas, as we all know, really limit our understanding of grain and sheep shearing. Bathsheba is keen to be a farmer in spite of her boobs, but as she is the only woman farmer in the 19th century, they do seem to get in the way of it. For example, in the market... The numerous evidences of her power to attract were only thrown into greater relief by a marked exception. Women seem to have eyes, women, seem to have eyes in their ribbons for matters such as these. Bathsheba, without looking within a right angle of him, was conscious of a black sheep among the flock. I kid you not, even the romantic metaphors are about sheep. Uh, anyway, so there's some romantic intrigue here. Again, this is eclipsed by Gabriel Oak being heroically called in to save an entire flock of sheep who've eaten some clover. Apparently that's really bad for sheep, makes them very bloaty. I'll, I'll summarise for you and you don't need to Google this because I've done it for you. Uh, they inflate, roll over and die and Farmer Oak essentially just punctures them and this saves them. Uh, then there's some more romantic intrigue. 
Bathsheba gets involved with a soldier called Troy, who we know is a knob from the off, not least because his name has absolutely no link to the countryside. Actually, the name of a city. And there's some more violence, some vengeful lovers, an instruction manual-esque level of information about sheep shearing, uh, and an extremely high stakes, high tension chapter about saving grain from a thunderstorm. And everything, in spite of all the death, turns out okay in the end. Uh, and I would recommend this if you are looking to work out how to develop a small holding. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for listening. That's uh, intriguing. And uh, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I will read this book now <laughs> based on this description. Yeah, it's hard to judge. Would you say it's a good book? I enjoyed the story. I did not enjoy the like very casual misogyny throughout, but I did find it like quite funny. Like I knew that I could write something about it. Like it made me a bit angry and sometimes I quite enjoy that. Like I've read, a, I've read quite a few books like that this year that I've been like, oh, this is kind of bad. I'm enjoying it a little bit, but I'm going to mm. write about this. So it's useful. Yeah. It's useful. I, I had a couple of, clarifying points actually one so firstly i liked it when you said <laughs> yeah i think it was a mistake but you said that she measured her height in hands like a horse <laughs> which is which seemed yeah. fitting um yes that's why yeah. i read it i think as hands i was like oh that yeah. makes sense in his little weird world about rural yeah. stuff what does it say it doesn't make sense that what he says about heads yeah. that's really rural though to not know the metric system <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you also said uh and uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this. Did you say the sheep were all pregnant when they were herded into the quarry? So, yeah. so he's punishing. Yeah. He's not only punishing the human females; he's killing all of the female sheep as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. I had not made that connection between like he hates women, he likes sheep, but he yeah. hates female sheep. Yeah, he's really got it in for women. I, do you know anything about his? No, that was actually I had that was actually my next question, but I don't. I have no idea whether you want to go into this on a comedy podcast or not. But, um, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know much about Thomas Hardy. Would you like to elaborate? Well, I can summarize it relatively quickly in that he was uh, not a nice man to his wife. I don't even remember how I know that. I think I studied it at some point can't remember specific details but then what happens is she dies unexpectedly then he spends the rest of his life writing poetry about how sad he is and how he wasn't very nice to her which i think i'm just so angry for for every everyone especially his wife isn't it to to make a career out of your abused wife dying (laughs) that's absolutely right yeah and he then like sells loads of poetry off the back of it that's like oh i'm really sad i should have made the most of you it's the equivalent of what's that song that was really popular about five years ago that's like you only hate the road when you're missing home you only oh it's ed sheeran no it's passenger it's passenger passenger. yeah Yeah. the thing like you only miss your lover when yeah let them go or something I just remember like being involved in a breakup around that time being like, oh my God, it's so true. But this is exactly the same thing. You think it? Thomas Hardy was the, um, the Ed Sheeran of the uh, Findus yeah. Yeah. period? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, he definitely was. Yeah, not a, not a lovely man. I, honestly, if you go to Bridget Gutenberg and you search through all those women things, like it's, ov- it's all just like horrible generalizations. Yeah, I can imagine most male writers before no actually including today uh <laughs> probably don't fare particularly <laughs> well on that comparison except they're just not on project gutenberg yet so this is maybe like a who knows whether this is a loaded question or not 
Can you think of any male authors who do write women well? That's very <laughs> tricky. Because we were we talked about this recently, or me and my girlfriend talked about this. And even if you even if you Google it, some of the people that come up on lists are are like questionable additions, which is pretty damning. I'm trying to think damning of men. Yeah, I I can give you lots of examples of men writing women mm, poorly, yeah. and examples of women writing women well that I've read this year like I've read a lot of parenting books and ridiculously have read lots of parenting books for dads because I got them for my boyfriend for my partner rather and then just thought oh I'll check that I know all of this stuff as well that I don't know and they were (laughs) awful like they were just not good and they were recent so I can I can give you examples of modern people who have done badly as well I can't think of anyone. Off the so top the of one my head. that seems to come up on the lists quite often uh, mm. is Tolstoy. I don't know if you've ever read any any Tolstoy. Or not. I have not read, I have read any Anna Karenina, which is admittedly seems quite good. But I am a man reading a book by another man, so it's hard to tell without getting without getting someone else's perspective on it. When I think about like someone like Henry James, who like spent a lot of time trying to get into other people's heads. I've read like. Mm. Um, some Henry, I read What Made You New by Henry James, and you're like, oh my God, you don't even understand men, let alone women. Like, <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't. He barely understands how yeah, to write a yeah. sentence. They're like the longest, most tortured sentences in the world. I gave up on What Made You New, yeah. and I was supposed to be well, teaching. I think. I think the trouble is that men before the year 1900 or whatever, when they set out to write a book about women, are like, okay, well, this book is just going to be me exploring what it means to be a woman in like psychological terms there's gonna be no plot anymore it's just a woman going about domestic duties and i'll just mm-hmm. describe what i think she's thinking for like 800 pages is that what anna karenina oh, no, anna is karenina about? really good there's lots of plot um it's actually it's quite okay. exciting but i think it's the exception and that's perhaps why why it's lauded mm. that's interesting because i mean i can think of other like madame bovary would be that another equivalent of a man yeah. being like that's a good ah, one, yeah. okay interesting Again, it's something else that I haven't read. I feel like there's so many classic books that I haven't read that I just I don't think I'm going to ever have time for. I read something that was like 600 pages this year, and that took me quite a while. And I don't like rushing through stuff. Have you read Wild Swans? I've not, no. It's my, I'm so evangelical about it. It's like the best book I've... Definitely the best book I've read this year. Possibly the best. Up there with the best I've read in my whole life. Okay. Who's that? Well, it's... So this will absolutely turn you off it because it turned me off it. It's 600 pages of biography and autobiography. It's written by the granddaughter or daughter. It's really hard to explain. Basically, there are three women. One is the grandmother, one is the mother, and one is the granddaughter, and the granddaughter writes it. But it's a biography of their lives, and they lived through basically the last century of China across all of their lives. Um, and the grandma was born like you may not know anything about Chinese history I ended up teaching it this year and suddenly it was really interesting to me there was a revolution in 1911 and basically everything like is pretty I mean probably was fairly fucked up before that but through that and just seeing what individual people's lives was like through that I found absolutely fascinating and that's a really good book for like really in-depth lives of women and how their lives impact on history and how history impacted on them. I fully recommend it anyway. 
So that's all we've got time for today. Thank you very much, Dan, for joining us. Um, where can people follow you online if they want to? Uh, well, thanks for having me. I'm I'm on Twitter at Dan Squire. 007 and uh if you if you also want to um keep up with some of the improv comedy stuff that i uh that i do i'm a member of the oxford imps uh so we we've been producing a, a separate podcast if you like podcasts where we kind of do improvised comedy uh that includes like improvised shakespeare scenes and uh improvised poetry sometimes and things like that as well so uh, you can find the oxford imps podcast on on spotify and apple music and things like that as well brilliant do you just search oxford imps Yes, yeah, yeah, it will come up. Brilliant. That sounds amazing. Fully recommend that everyone listen to that. Uh, Right, I will say goodbye. Thank you very much. Thank you.